0: So it's April the 2nd and I ended yesterday by suggesting that my announcement to bring back David's Daily Digital Dollop, which lasted for all of 2016, where I set myself the challenge to release a blog every single day. I suggested yesterday that the announcement that I was bringing it back might be an April Fool. And to be honest, it was an April Fool. But then Sarah has pointed out a caveat, and it's resulted in me being very much hoisted on my own petard. What's interesting is you never hear anyone say that they've been hoisted on someone else's petard. It's always their own petard they've been hoisted upon. Maybe this could be an interactive feature. Get in touch with us if you can provide me an example of a time that you've been hoisted on someone else's petard. If you've hoisted yourself on your own petard, not interested. But if you've been hoisted on someone else's petard, or if you've hoisted someone else on your petard, please get in touch with us. So Sarah got in touch and she has stipulated a caveat to the whole April Fool's system. And that is an April Fool cannot be conducted after midday. And I completely forgot about that. So it looks as if I'm lumbered now with having to do this. So I'm about to head off to a gig in a couple of hours' time. I'm heading to Northampton to do some stand-up. I realised that if I was to release a dollop today, that I would need to do it before I left because of Wi-Fi. And I forgot about all this. I forgot about these considerations. That it's not just a case of recording it. I've then got to edit it. You know, because obviously there's a few pauses while I think of what to say. You know, I know there's a lot of spontaneity and that kind of thing, but there's clearly, as you can tell, a lot of thought-out moments. You know, there's the, there's the occasional rerun. Let's do that again. Put Try emphasis on different words. Try emphasis on different words. Try emphasis on different words. That's just an example there. I didn't edit that bit out, but that's what I do. Nearly every single sentence, I put place the emphasis on different words, or I'll uh, you know I'll try different in- intonation, different inflection. Should I go up at the end of the sentence? Or Should I go down? All these things that add a whole new meaning and a whole new texture to the you know to the whole experience. Now and again, putting a you know or an er uh, like I did there, just so it doesn't sound scripted. Say you know now and again or like, or something like that. There was a uh, at the train station yesterday, overhearing a conversation between two girls who just started university and one of them was liking all the time as in she was saying that things were like this and it was just like oh it was just like like this and like that and I was like and then the other girl she was always saying literally I was literally doing this I was literally doing that and I wondered if, if subconsciously The two of them got together as a kind of like a a grammatical yin and yang. One would do analogies, one would do similes, and keep saying like. It was like this, it was like that. And the other girl would say that it was literally this. I imagine not, because in fairness, literally girl did say that it was literally like something at one point. Anyway, so I'm heading out for a gig tonight, doing some stand-up in Northampton, doing ten minutes. So. I've left a few blog posts over the last year about my stand-up exploits and the fact that I've started. Oh, hello! Right. It's usually what happens when I'm walking down this stretches. I wouldn't be able to just say hello and they just say all right and walk on by. What would normally happen there is there'd be the usual requests for autographs maybe even a, a selfie or two. People would stop me and ask me to do some of my catchphrases. What's happened is word has obviously got out that the dollops have started up again, and people don't want to, don't want to stand in the way of it. And so I could see that the man was, was itching, you know, his hand on his camera, but his, his wife was pulling him away. No, 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 let, let the man work. Let the man do his thing. People need him. He's got to get to a gig in two hours. He's got to quickly record this get it uploaded before he leaves because you won't have Wi-Fi where he's going. Why, where's he going? Northampton. Ah, oh, yeah, fair enough. I hope his dollop isn't interrupted today by the wind too much. And It's quite windy. I hope it's not rustling through the microphones. That's, that's no doubt what they're talking about. They think, I wonder if we'll make an appearance. I mean, it's too much to ask. It's too much to hope for that my simple, all right, will make it onto the dollop. But maybe you can but dream, love. You can but dream. Anyway, the basic headline is that I am now doing stand-up very regularly. Now and again, I will be doing paid spots, but more often than not, I'm just competing like everybody else. Most of the nights, I mean just trekking around the country. And when I first started out, No one knows if you're any good or not, so you have to do five minute spots. And I was going all over the place. I was just turning up at gigs in Manchester and London and getting the mega bus back. And there were so many gig opportunities coming up in London. When I first started out, that seemed to be the easiest place to get gigs. It was just like, turn up at a gig in London, some open mic comedy thing and just, five minutes and then get the mega bus back because I'd have missed the train because by the time the night had finished I'd have missed the last train home so I'd have to get the bus, the mega bus. Just over four hours to get from London to Sheffield. And I'd have to get the 11.45 bus and I'd be back home between quarter past and half past four. And being completely inexperienced as well, I didn't know how these gigs were, didn't know how well attended they were or know anything about it. So the great thing with London is you could play every single night if you wanted to. But if you're not, you kind of go down to do a gig. No idea what the night's going to be like, but you think, well, I need to get this stuff out there, I need to practice. So you get to the gig and realise that... There was another 10 comedians there, all of varying degrees of quality, many of them just starting out. Many of them, not really particularly funny people, just people with mental health issues who just wanted to talk, essentially, and just rail at the world, and may have an occasional joke that they would throw into the mix. But essentially, it was just <laughs> the verbal exercising of demons in a lot of the cases. And you'd soon realize as well that there was no audience, maybe two or three people, would make it down to this basement room in a pub. So I'd turn up and these comedians wouldn't really be, a lot of the time, listening to what you were saying because they would be consulting their notes of what they were going to talk about. And sometimes the audience members were coerced down. In one case, I did this gig where there was only two people in the audience and there was 10 comedians. And the two people in the audience were only there because they were waiting for food to be served in the upstairs restaurant bit of the pub. And it was going to be a half an hour wait, so they thought, well, we might as well go down. But they said, as soon as our food arrives, we're going to have to go up. And um, (laughs) basically, they sat through the first 30 minutes of some rather awful (laughs) comedy, for want of a better word. And then my name was called, and I got up just as the two audience members slunk off because their food had arrived. And then I'd do this gig, and then I'd get on the Megabus. And, you know, you might I might have spent about 30 quid on the train to get down, or more, then get a tube across to whichever part of London it was. Obviously I didn't want to be late and miss the gig, so I'd make sure I got an earlier train. So I'd often get there two or three hours before the gig would start, because the last thing I wanted was to miss the gig and then just have to get the megabus back. <laughs> So I'd get there with hours to spare, do the gig, often five minutes to a couple of audience members, in a basement pub in London. And then uh, I would head back on the Megabus home, get in at five o'clock and, depending on what I was doing the next day, I'd be up and getting on with the day, or maybe I'd be out again in Manchester or Leeds doing another gig. What I soon found was, the gigs up north would have an audience but I'd travel to do a gig in London and there'd be absolutely no one there. And fortunately, as you got more experienced and you make a few contacts and things, people start inviting you to do gigs and you start doing nights that are better quality. The people who are on are pretty good and there's an actual audience there. So now I'm in a situation where I'm doing nights in front of pretty good audiences in general and because I've proven that I can make people laugh for five minutes, certain promoters will go, oh well, could you do that for ten minutes? And I go, of course I could, yeah. I'll just speak twice as slowly. Just put a few more errs in there. I can do that, mate. And then occasionally, you might even get offered some paid gigs. But it's still quite infrequent because there's so many people doing this and so many people who start out. You know, there's a lot of professional comedians who've been going for three or four years before anything properly happens. And so it's quite interesting that I gig for a living and then when I'm not gigging, I'm now touring with the comedy, but I'm essentially paying at the moment. I'm paying to play because I've got to get the train there and the buses back or a taxi to the venue if it's nowhere near the train station. So I'm spending all of my money essentially (laughs) doing stand-up. And obviously it's taken up a hell of a lot of time because I'm getting trains and buses everywhere. And I've had some quite harrowing journeys and some harrowing experiences. And there was a point last year when I was thinking, what the bloody hell am I doing? And occasionally I do think that because I'm thinking the chances of actually getting somewhere with this are probably quite slim. I'm already gigging for a living. I'm already aware plenty as it is. I think, unfortunately, I've become addicted to the whole thing. There was a passage, actually, from a book written by a neuroscientist. It's quite a popular book it has uh, been touted around, called The Happy Brain, all about what essentially makes the brain happy, what makes the brain thrive. And there is a little passage about stand-up comedy and its addictive nature. So I'm going to start the blog tomorrow by reading that. And I will also tell you tomorrow a couple of stories about two rather harrowing journeys to and from stand-up gigs that have taken place this year. Tomorrow, two stories of two harrowing journeys to and from stand-up gigs and lots more adventures to come on a daily basis in series two of David's Daily Digital Dollop.